two of this series. I'm glad that you're here with us today. Excited to see you. Wow, don't those slaps look painful? <laughs> they do to me. Um, just slap him. Haven't you ever wanted to do that? Has there been a moment in your life where someone just didn't seem to get it? I, they just didn't seem to get the hint that you were trying to drop or they didn't get the clue you were trying to give them or they just didn't even get a direct statement that you made. <laughs> they just didn't get it and you just wanted to slap them. And last week we said, let's hit the pause button on that because let's think for just a moment, how must God feel about us? I mean, yikes, that makes me think. We actually have some great examples that we can know what God felt about some things like that. Um, they're in the Old Testament. Now, if you're like me, um, sometimes you think about the Old Testament and you just think, well, yeah, Harley, it's, it's just so old. And it is old, but it's ripe with lessons for us even still today. Sometimes you might think, well, the Old Testament has nothing to do with me, though, now, because that was thousands and thousands of years ago. Well, I guess the reality is that the same way that your parents their choices, what they did in their life had an impact on you. That's kind of the same way the Old Testament is for us. It still has an impact on us today, even though it was generations ago. You might just say, well, Harley, but the Old Testament, it's just history. And I love that I'm often reminded that history is really just his story. And it's all culminating according to his plan. Now last week, let me tell you or remind you, and if you weren't here, to, to let you know, our bottom line last week said this, when the most blessed become the most self-obsessed, they end up the most distressed. When the most blessed become the most self-obsessed, they end up the most distressed. Now, God gave the Israelite nation, um, and this was the northern kingdom. So by this time in history, um, which was I think around 762 years before Christ was born, the Israel nation had divided into two different kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And God sent this man, his name was Amos, to the northern kingdom. Amos was from the southern kingdom. He sent him to the northern kingdom with this message that we're talking about. And it was almost as if Amos arrives and he gives the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, a slap for God. That's kind of what is happening. You see, the northern kingdom, they had been blessed. And Amos was reminding them, you have been so blessed, but yet you remain so self-obsessed. And he's giving them this message for God. So now comes a slap. He says, you're going to end up in distress. Now, that was the first encounter that the northern kingdom of Israel had with Amos. This guy, this man that God sent to deliver the message. And now we're going to talk to you this morning about a second encounter that Amos had with the northern kingdom. And it begins for us in Amos chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 1. We're just going to work our way through several verses. Verse 1, Amos said to the northern kingdom, he said, Listen to me, you fat cows. <laughs> I, I, um, not very politically correct. I, uh, he, he's really pretty direct here. He says, you listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria. You women who oppress the poor and who crush the needy. Now, remember, this is a message from God. Amos is not making this up. In these prophecies, God tells them what to say, and they go say it. He goes on, he describes them, and, and you who are always calling your husbands and saying, 
bring us another drink. And I guess Amos is kind of asking, on behalf of God here, he's asking, okay, northern kingdom of Israel, what invitation have you been listening to? Who has invited you into this kind of life where you seem to be serving yourselves? Who has given you the invitation to say, hey, it's okay for you just to help yourselves to whatever you want, however you want to live, and in this case, they were abusing the poor. He said, who has given you permission to do that? Who has invited you to act that way, for you to just go and abuse the poor, to steal from the poor, to take what they have that is theirs, what little they have, and for you to take it as your own. And listen, they're not talking about the poor from another country even. They're talking about the poor Israelites who live among them. I guess one way to look at it would be to to see that the people that Amos is talking to here, that God is talking to here, they have been treating these fellow Israelites like animals. And Amos is getting ready to tell them where that leads if they choose that kind of behavior, as they did. So here's where he goes in verse 2. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness, he says. The time will come. It's almost as if he's shaking his finger at them. The time will come when you will be led away with hooks in your noses. Now here's the picture that's going on. This is similar to what the Assyrians, one of their rival nations, um, would do when they would take captives. They would often pierce the noses of these captives or sometimes the ears and they would string through those, uh, really a, a chain or a rope, and they would string them together as if they were on a stringer and they would lead them back to Uh, the captive country so they would put hooks in their noses or in their ears and they would or their lips sometimes too and they would string them along he said this is what's going to happen to you you have treated your fellow Israelites uh, like animals and now you are going to be treated like an animal and strung along and he, he goes on now he's saying the seeds that you planted Israelites in the northern kingdom, you treated them like animals, those seeds are going to grow and you are going to in turn be treated like an animal. He says, every last one of you will be dragged away like fish on a hook. Now, think with me for a moment because all of our minds just went to a fishing pole with a hook. But really, the picture here is not a fishing pole with a line and a hook on it. The picture is like a, a rod, a, a bar, with a giant metal hook on the end. Have you seen the fishing shows where they get on the side of the boat and they get a giant fish, a tuna or whatever, on the end of a line? And someone reaches down with a big hook and they jab the fish and they go ahead and pull it on into the boat. Have you ever seen that? That's the image that is being portrayed here. And so, again, the Assyrians, not only would they put them in stringers and hooks, I mean, uh, loops in their nose or their lips, their ears, and string them together, but they would also, those who were unwilling to get in line and, and become captive, they would literally take a bar with a giant hook on the end, and they would hook them through the sides. Oftentimes, and then they would drag them wherever they wanted. Oftentimes, they would end up dying from that, a severe wound. Um, and they also used that hook a second way. Um, when someone, when there were mass casualties, uh, they would use those hooks to just simply drag the bodies wherever they needed them to be. So this is a very graphic picture that God is painting and, he's, and, and they are visualizing 
what God is saying. Verse 3, he said, you will be led out through the ruins of the wall. You will be thrown from your fortress, says the Lord. So obviously, even though this is, they are not living in Jerusalem, they left, they divided their kingdom. This is the northern kingdom. They had developed safe walls around them to keep their adversaries out. They were protected, just like the movies you see with the castles and the walls. Well, this is on a bigger scale. It was the walls of a city. And, and, and God is saying there's going to be so much devastation that there will be such enormous holes um, knocked into the walls that are protecting you that your enemies will take you captive and they will be able to lead you out of the city from almost any direction. There will be so many holes in that wall, that protective wall. They'll be able to lead you out from almost any direction, almost any location. It's going to be devastation. And so Amos is in this series of questions, really. He's giving them statements, but this underlying feeling of, okay, Israelites, you, you have answered some kind of invitation. Someone has invited you, and you have responded. What invitation, Amos is asking here, what invitation have you been answering? And now we're going to change gears from the fat cows of Samaria to a little bigger picture of this northern kingdom in Israel. And he's saying, who is, what, what invitation are you answering? Who is calling you to worship? And the real question there is, who are you worshiping? Verse 4, Amos says, go ahead, offer sacrifices to the idols at Bethel. Now notice he said at Bethel, because they are no longer part of the southern kingdom, which centers around Jerusalem, which is the location where God said, this is where my temple will be built. But they went away, they divided, they split, they left. And they said, we're not going to go back to Jerusalem, no way. We're not going to worship there. We've left them. We're going to build our own temple. And they built one in Bethel. But notice he said, you're offering sacrifices. Okay, so they're worshiping there. But to idols. It's very interesting that Bethel... One of, uh, they had this giant idol, which was a golden cow. <laughs> Does that sound familiar at all? The Israelites and a golden cow. Now, strangely, this was supposed to remind them to worship God. But it had become an idol, one of many. So they weren't in Jerusalem. They wouldn't worship there. They were going to worship in Bethel. And Amos is like, go ahead, go do it, go do it. Go, go ahead, go ahead. It's the location where this idol, this golden cow was. And so really, think with me for a moment. It seems to me that they want to worship, but they want to worship on their own terms. Their terms. Now, Worship, if it is on your own terms, it's not really worship, is it? I think we would have to say that is self-worship. If they are setting the terms by which they will or will not follow God, it is self-worship. Now, Amos goes on. He says, keep on. Keep on, just keep on disobeying God at Gilgal. Again, this was a second place where they set up a place to worship. And again, it's not Jerusalem. It's an invitation. At this moment, Amos is inviting them, go ahead, just do what you've been doing 
all along. Go ahead. Just keep on sinning. Keep on making those choices. Keep on saying, I'm worshiping God. Just keep on. Go ahead. Keep on answering that invitation to self-worship. Just keep on sinning. Now let's pause here for a moment. We have several questions that we're going to ask ourselves today. Because, after all, this book of Amos is a book of prophecy. And it's a book of prophecy for the northern kingdom in Israel. And I'm pretty sure none of us today are part of that northern kingdom in Israel. So this prophecy is not for us. That's the good news. But the bad news is, the message in it is still for us. So here's our first question. We have several we're going to ask ourselves today. Here's the first. What are your worship terms? What terms have you set with God? To say, God, I will do this, but I won't do this. God, I, I will attend, but I'm just going to kind of lean back in my chair, sit back. I'm not going to participate. Okay, God, if they make me stand, okay, if they make me stand, I, I'll stand, but I'm not going to open my mouth. <laughs> I'll stand, but I'm not going to clap. I'll stand, but I'm not going to do anything else for you, God. If they make me stand, I'll stand. Okay, God, I, I might sing, but I'm not going to serve. Nah. I might sing, but don't ask me to do anything. I'm not going to serve. Okay, God, I might attend a Sunday morning, but I'm not going to do those silly small groups. Yes, yes, I know they're going to sign up again in January. But no, I'll come to church, but I'm not going to go to small group. I'll sing a song. It's going to be soft. It's going to be quiet. I'll move my lips at least. But I'm not going to give. Are you crazy? It's Christmas. Got to get the kids some presents. Listen, I'll stay in that room, that worship theater, as long as you, God, stay out of my wallet. <laughs> Let's make a deal. I'll walk in, but I'm not going to get to know anybody. Here are my terms, God. Take them or leave them. Take them, God, and, well, you win, because I'm here. You don't take them, if you leave them, well, that's okay, you lose, because I'm walking. If we're offering God terms of how we will or will not worship, is that really worshiping God? Amos goes on. He says, oh yeah, go ahead and do this too. Keep offering those sacrifices every morning. Now, there was in the nation of Israel a daily offering, but this is not what Amos is talking about. Amos is actually referring to, uh, to a sacrifice that was supposed to be about one time a year. One time a year. And they were offering it every single day. Now that sounds really good, doesn't it? They are extra committed. I mean 364 times committed than the once a year people. Because, hey, God, we're just that good. Look! God, look how good we are! Every day, baby, every day. And Amos goes on, and bring your tithes every three days. Now it sounds like they're slacking off. But Amos, the, the Israelites had many different tithes and offerings. 
he's referring to one specifically that was supposed to happen every three years. Once every three years. And they were offering that sacrifice, that tithe, every three days. It's like, hey, poor people, poor folks, I got some ice cream. I'm going to give it. Watch me. Hey, you other wealthy people, look at me. God, don't miss this. Don't blink. Every three days. Because I'm just that awesome. (laughs) I don't have to wait every three years. I'm going to do this every three days. I'm going to bring it in. Hey, look, make sure you see what I'm doing. Because I am that awesome. But God only commanded it once every three years. But hey, I am awesome. So here's our second question for today. How awesome are you? How awesome are you? I guess what I'm really asking is this. What part of our worship is really, I don't know how to word it, but is really part of a show? What part of what we do or what we do not do when we gather for worship is for others to see. Amos is really asking the same question we're asking. What invitation are we answering as we pull our cars into the parking lot and we park? Are we looking to check off a box that says, yep, I made it, I did it. Make sure, God, make sure you notice I came today. Duck season is open. I'm here. Check that box. Give me three checks for that one. Well, maybe just two. There's not that many ducks. What part of what we're doing, are are we checking boxes to make sure God saw? Are we checking boxes to make sure someone else saw? Are we checking boxes just so we can feel okay and we can say, I did that, I'm done? What part of our worship is not really for God at all? What part of it is really for show or for us? Amos doesn't let up. He keeps going. Verse 5, he says, all right, keep going. Present your bread made with yeast as an offering of thanksgiving. Now, some of the offerings that the Israelites gave, uh, one specifically, did involve bread that had yeast in it. But all the others involved unleavened bread, bread that had no yeast at all. There's a whole lot of meaning behind that. We don't have time to go into today. But let me just say this. This is not the offering. God was here. God is talking to them about an offering that was not supposed to contain yeast, and it did. They brought bread to this offering as part of this offering that contained yeast, and they were not supposed to. Now, to us, that does not sound like a very big deal. It's like, come on, God, it just made it taste better. But this was super, super offensive to God. We talk about this intermittently throughout the year. We don't have time to talk about it today. But that act alone was super offensive to God. And God was said, go ahead, just keep on doing it. I mean, you've been doing it. Just keep on doing it. It's as if the Israelites were saying, okay, God, we're going to do some of what you want us to do. I mean, what what are you asking? What all do you want? We're going to do some of it. But the reality is, God, we will do some, but I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I'm going to do some of what you've asked, and of that, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I really... God, I really don't care how you want it. This is how I'm going to do it. Amos is basically saying to the Israelites in the northern kingdom, you have 
ignored God as to where you're going to worship. You're not going to Jerusalem, you said. You're going to stay here and worship here. You've ignored God about where. You've also ignored God about how. And God says, you're doing a lot, northern kingdom of Israel. Oh, you're doing a lot. You're doing so much, and you're checking off a lot of boxes there. And I know that you think you are way, way ahead on this whole worship thing. But God seems to be saying, Israel, I know why you're really doing what you're doing. And he goes on. He says, Amos says, okay, then go ahead. Go ahead and give your extra voluntary offerings so that you can brag about it everywhere. This is the kind of thing you Israelites do. Says, Amos ends it with, the sovereign Lord. He's saying, Israelites, you love attention. You love to be seen. You love to be admired. You love to be heard. You love to be the center of all these things. Israel, you don't really love me, God is saying. You don't really love me. You love you. You see, their worship was not really about God. It was about themselves, which leads us to our third question for us. Are we guilty of that too? Is our worship really about us? You see, the whole time that Israel has been answering this invitation to serve themselves, this invitation to love themselves, God has also been giving them an invitation. An invitation to return to Him. And so God, so frequently, we are most often going to respond to God when something disrupts our lives. And that's what happens here. God gives them an opportunity to return. He's offered them an invitation. Hey, Israel, northern kingdom, return to me. And he gives them some good old-fashioned discipline. Now, we hate that word. But he's just going to give them, he's going to give them a few slaps. God presents it. Okay, Israel, maybe if you are hungry enough, physically hungry enough, you want food badly enough, then maybe you'll come back to me. So God throws that into the equation, into their lives. And in verse 6, here's what Amos says. But still, you would not return to me, says the Lord. Even when they were hungry, they wouldn't return to God. Here's the reality, I think. The invitation that you keep answering determines the party you're going to attend. That's what happened to Israel. The invitation you keep answering determines the party you will attend. So God does something else. Just maybe if they are thirsty enough, if they need water badly enough, just maybe you'll return to me, Israel. And in verse 8, but still... You would not return to me, says the Lord. Why? Because the invitation you keep answering in your life determines the party you will attend. Just maybe, God thinks, just maybe if they lose some of their income, if they lose some of their security, then... Maybe you'll, you'll return to me in verse 9. But still, 
you would not return to me, says the Lord. Why? Because the invitation you keep answering determines the party you'll attend. And God thinks, well, just maybe, just maybe if they experience some personal tragedy, surely then they would return to me. And then he kicks it up a notch. Maybe if the entire uh, cities around them experience tragedy in this northern kingdom, and by tragedy we are meaning loss of life, on a massive scale. So much, in fact, that they could not bury them fast enough and the stench was growing. Surely then, maybe they'll return to God. Maybe they'll return to me. God is saying in verse 11 then, those of you who survived this massive thing, those of you who survived were like charred sticks pulled from a fire. In other words, they got them out just in time, but they are smoking... He says, maybe those who came out of that fire, maybe those who came out of that tragedy and made it will turn to me. But still, God said, still, you would not return to me, says the Lord. Why? Because the invitation you keep answering determines the party you will attend. Now here's the tragedy of this whole story. Amos is letting them know it is too late now. He's saying, Northern Kingdom, it is too late for you now because the invitations that you have answered, they have now determined the party you will attend. It is too late now. Verse 12. Therefore, God says, I will bring upon you all the disasters I have announced. Now, the most scary words probably in the entire Bible right here. Prepare to meet your God in judgment, you people of Israel. Let's talk about the northern kingdom. And Amos is letting them know. It's too late now. I'm not here to encourage you to turn around. I'm here to let you know it is too late now. And I said, as just a few moments ago, that this did not apply to us. This prophecy did not apply to us. But what he is saying, what he is saying still applies to us. There comes a time in our lives that it is too late. Now God is telling them through Amos. God is letting them know that I have allowed you plenty of time to repent, which means to, train, to, to change directions with your life. I've allowed you plenty of times to change directions, but that time is over. And I believe in the New Testament we can find great evidence that suggests to us that we are allowed time to repent, time to change. We are really promised an opportunity, a chance to repent, to change, to change directions, to turn and to start following God. But we are not promised that that window of opportunity will last forever. I believe we see in the New Testament great evidence that suggests that we are guaranteed a call from God. But it is never a call on your terms, on my terms, on our terms. It is only a call on God's terms. And it's not an open-ended call. In the New Testament, we find that we can only come to God when His Spirit is calling us. That is the only time. 
we can come to God as long as He is calling us. And now we find here, He has stopped calling Israel. And He says, it is now too late for you, northern kingdom of Israel. And then Amos closes this by saying, Listen, northern kingdom, let me remind you of who you're dealing with here. Verse 13, for the Lord is the one who shaped the mountains. He's our creator. He stirs up the winds and reveals his thoughts to all mankind. He turns the light of dawn into darkness and he treads on the heights of the earth. He's answering this question of, who is it? Just to be clear, Israel, if you don't understand who I'm talking about, if you're still saying to yourself, well, who is this? Who is it that you think that you're fooling, Israel? Who is it, Israel, that you are actually playing games with? Worship games. And Amos answers that question with the last statement. It is the Lord God of heaven's armies. That's his name. Amos says, listen up Israel. You're playing games with God. It is God. And God says, your game is over. Go ahead, Amos said, go ahead and keep on acting like fools. Go ahead, but your time is up. In fact, Israel, you couldn't change now even if you wanted to. The game is over. And soon you are going to experience it as over. Because the invitation you keep answering determines the party you will attend. So, as we wrap this up this morning, let's take one more quick look at these three questions that we ask ourselves. Here's the first. What are your worship terms? What have you told God? I will do this, but God, I won't do this. God, no matter what you want, no matter what you've said, no, no, I, I don't care if you want it or not. I'm going to do this. And you can take these terms, God, or you can leave these terms. It's up to you. You take it, you win, because I'm, I'm going to be there. You don't take it, you lose, because I'm going to walk, God. Take it or leave it. Here's the second question. How awesome are you? What part of your worship is really for somebody else? Is it to check a box? Is it for someone to see or someone not to see? Here's the third question. Is your worship really about you? Are you really saying to God, God, I'm here, but I'm here because I want something from you, God. That's why I came. I got some things I really need. I better go to church. Is your worship really for you? And now, this last question. We're adding this one. What invitation... Do you keep answering? Do you keep saying yes to yourself and what you want? Or have you answered the invitation of Jesus and said yes to Him? What invitation do you keep answering? I remember for me, this is just me, I, I, I can't speak this as your truth or what would happen in your life. 
this is me, part of my story. I knew as I was a teenager, I knew I was not a believer, a follower. I, I believed the things about Jesus. I had grown up in church. I, my parents made sure I was there. I knew some answers. I believed things about Jesus. I believed some things about God, all the things that were in the Bible. I, I believed those. But that Believing that that is truth does not make one a follower of Jesus, does not make one what you would call a Christian. It just means you believe some facts. So I realized, as a, a teenager, I realized that I just believed information about God and about Jesus that's found in the Bible, but I was not a Christian. I was not a follower of Jesus. I did everything on my own terms. Okay, God, yeah, yeah, I see what you got there, but this is what I think. Okay, God, yeah, yeah, I see what you got there, but this is how I'm going to do it. Take it or leave it. That's not a follower of Jesus. That's not a Christian. I realized that as a teenager. And at that moment, I didn't do anything about it. In fact, in fact, um, I not only didn't do anything about it, but I rejected God every single time I went to church, which was every single Sunday. I rejected God. They had a thing. Every Sunday morning, we had a thing called an invitation where the pastor would walk down to the front. Nothing wrong with those. We just don't do them. pastor would walk down to the front, and he would invite people to walk down the aisles. Lights would all be on real bright. They would play songs and... I rejected God. I, no, I'm not going to do that, God. Every Sunday morning for years. Guess what? I was also there on Sunday nights. Guess what they did on Sunday nights? Same thing. He'd walk down the front, and I would stand up in my pew as everyone stood. I wouldn't do it by myself. And I would grab onto the pew in front of me, and guess what? I would not budge. I would squeeze it. I would go white knuckle on that pew. Because I wasn't going to walk down there. God, what's everybody going to think about me? They think I'm a follower of yours. What are they going to think when they realize I'm not? When I admit to them I have not really been following you. And I wouldn't go. Years, every single Sunday morning, every single Sunday night. Guess what? I was also there on Wednesday nights. Guess what happened on Wednesday nights? The teenagers met. 300 teenagers in the room. Guess what happened every Wednesday night? An invitation. Dad gummit. I hate you, Baptist. <laughs> Not really, I'm just joking. Invitation, Wednesday night. Guess what I did? Nothing. I grabbed that metal chair. For years, I knew that I was not a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Up to that point, I said, Jesus, I will show up, but it's on my terms. I was not. I believed information about the Bible. That does not make you a Christian. We'll talk about that in the next series. It's going to be good. For years. And then there was this one night. I can't tell you how many camps I went to during that period of time. What happens at camp every single night at Christian camp for kids, for students, teenagers? I love camps. Invitation. What did I do? Nothing! I grabbed that old nasty wooden bench that had everyone's initials carved on it from the past 100 years. I mean, there were hieroglyphics on it, or whatever you call it. There were, there were, there were like painting. It was, it was old. I grabbed it, white knuckled it. But then there was that one night. That one night, when very clearly I did not hear an audible voice. Never have talk to God that way. He has never talked to me that way. I'm not saying he couldn't. 
He just hadn't. If he did, please don't. It would scare me to death. I will not show up the next Sunday. I'll be dead. He spoke to my heart. His spirit did so very clearly. Here's, here's, and, and listen, there may be critics out there who say, God can't speak to you individually and personally like that. He did. Well, I'm sorry. I don't agree. In my heart, this is what he said to me. Harley, I have given you so many opportunities and invitations. I have invited you to come to me. Invited you to surrender to me. And you have said no every single time. And that's your pride. See, even as a teenager, I had stacks of pride. And I know I'm not alone in that. We all do. But God called me out on it in my heart. That's your pride. And here in my heart, this was not anything that the pastor, the teacher said. This is all coming into my heart. And God said to, to my heart, here's what he said. That's pride. And your pride will do you absolutely no good in hell. And that was it. He said, I'm going to call you one more time. And you can make fun of me. You can blog about me. You can say things about me that I'm a heretic, that that's not true. It can't possibly be true. I'm just telling you, God spoke to my heart. wasn't audible. But if you've ever felt God call you, he's spoken to you too. So you're crazy too. He said, I'm going to call you one more time and it will be your last. You see, my friends, I believe we are guaranteed, as we can read through the New Testament, we are guaranteed that he's going to call us. But we are not guaranteed how long he will call us. And we're told this, we can only come to him when he calls. This morning you're here. I believe, I believe as evidence of God calling you. Some of you have already surrendered to Him. Some of you have not yet. You've been waiting. You've been putting it on your terms and saying, God, I will do this, I won't do that. It is so scary to say to God, I will give you the answer, God, yes, before I even know what the question is. Some of us want to bargain with God. God, okay, give me a little more information. I might. haven't decided yet. I'm not sure if I agree, God, with your politics. They're not really kosher. That night for me, I said yes that was the first time I really I genuinely answered God's invitation him saying surrender to me come to me give your life to me and I said yes and at that moment he took me out of the hands of the evil one spiritually, and he put me in his hands. And he tells me that he will never let me go. And I want you to know something, my friends. I have made the worst mistakes in my life in the hands of Jesus. And he did not let me go. And he won't. And he can't. Because my God can't lie. 
He's never lost one. My friends, I pray this morning that you will answer his invitation. I'm not going to stand down here at the front. You answer that invitation right where you are sitting right now and you simply say, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I know this. I've blown it. You came to fix that. You died on the cross for me. For my sins. And you nailed them there at the cross. To your cross. And you left them there forgiven as you died. Three days later, you walked out of that tomb alive. You defeated death. You paid the price for my sin. And because you paid that price, you have bought this life and it's yours. If that's what your heart is saying for the first time, and you really mean it, I'm asking you this. Tell God right now in your heart, tell Him, I say yes to you. Because of that, what Harley just said, that's it. That's why I say yes to you. I'm not offering you my terms. Here are my terms, God. I surrender. Those are my terms. And if that is you this morning, will you mark that on the back of your connection card and let us know? Don't keep your surrender a secret. Let's pray. God, may we never hear from you. It is too late. God, may we never hear from you. You had your chance. God, may we never hear from you. Well, you kept saying no. God, may we respond to you right now. May we respond to you while you are calling. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we ask and pray these things.